Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, on this first Sunday of Reformation Month here at Foundation Church. It has now been 501 years since the marked beginning of the great Protestant Reformation. And during this month, as it is every October, we're going to focus on the Reformers. And this year we're going to be focusing on the Reformers and the Psalms. And the reason why we're going to be doing that is I'm going to be teaching or doing my very best to teach through the book of Psalms. That's what we're going to do next. We finish the life of Christ and we're going to start on to the great treasury of David as Spurgeon called it. These stalwart heroes of our faith look to God for their strength as they stood against the powers of darkness. Weak men as they were in the flesh, they became mighty in the spirit. And they went to war with everything that exalted itself above the knowledge of God and of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist knew the source of this kind of strength as he led Israel in song and to the rock that is our God in Psalm 46. He said these words, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof thou shalt make glad the city of God, and the most holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, and the kingdoms were moved, and he uttered his voice. And the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord with desolations that he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. And he breaketh the bow and he cutteth the spear in sunder. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The psalm ends with the word Selah again. And it's really, I don't believe, meant a word meant to be read. It's, a meant, it's something to be observed. It means that we need to stop for a minute and think about this. 
we need to pause for a minute and sometimes in the middle of hearing these wonderful things of the Lord we sometimes will just keep rolling but sometimes we need to stop he says this after saying be still and know that I am God sometimes we just need to be quiet sometimes we just need to be still and we need to think about the goodness of God amen let us pray Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending your Son in the likeness of flesh, in, in, in flesh itself, O oh Lord. Lord, it, it was like sinful flesh, only not sinful at all. It was perfect. Lord, not a man had ever lived like this except Adam, and we know that didn't last very long. And so this perfect man that came, our Savior and Lord, he showed it what, it what it was to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And today as we gather together, Lord, we long to hear your words that they might make us strong. We long to participate in your worship that it might enliven us with the power of the Spirit that we may withstand all the fiery darts of the wicked and assail all of our enemies. Lord, we pray today, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would forgive us, Lord, that you would lead us to you, to our strength, and that you would change us, that we might be more like you. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. standing for just a little bit longer here as I read for you my text for my sermon today. My sermon is simply Luther and the Psalms. Text is from Psalm 46, 1 through 3, and I'm also going to read verses 10 and 11. Psalm 46, starting in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble therefore will we not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea you know it's a little hard just to read it like that I mean really I mean if the mountains just throw themselves into the sea I'm not going to be afraid that's that's a pretty big thing could you imagine Luke if one of those mountains you were looking at just the other day just threw himself into the sea. It would be terrifying. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let us pray. Lord, as we go to this time... where your word is preached and where the word really today will be an epistle of flesh. We begin to talk about the reformers, particularly about Martin Luther. Lord, what we read in his life says so much about you and your word as does all of our lives. And I pray today that this would be illuminated for us, that we would see it, that we would gain strength and courage from it. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Everybody, you may be seated. The church of Jesus Christ had been planted in the ground as a seed at Golgotha in an out-of-the-way outpost of the Roman Empire at the height of its glory. That seed, Jesus himself, sprang forth with life three days later as Jesus rose from the tomb, from the earth as a tender plant and a root out of a dry ground. With seemingly no form nor comeliness, no beauty in these difficult early days of persecution, he flowered before the earth as he began to fill it through his people, the church. Lowly, despised, and rejected as they were, they outgrew and outlived the empire into which they were born. Hated as their master had been by the Jews, now they ascended the trellis of power and spread down the Roman roads like lush ivy everywhere they led. Rome would become synonymous with Christianity and less tied to the dying empire that fertilized its spread throughout the world. And as the power of the church rose, ungodly men sought a place within the walls of this mighty vineyard because within these walls were the power of the whole world. Through the Roman Empire, the saying was fulfilled that the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of Christ. But with this power came corruption, and with this corruption came God's judgment. As we know, the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. God has always been faithful to correct those He loves and bring those to repentance before Him. And it would be the same with His church. In the 6th century, God sent the minions of darkness on an errand to raise up a false prophet named Muhammad. He in turn would raise up a scourge of judgment against a wayward church. On the eastern banks of the Arabian Peninsula, the wealthiest woman of this Ishmaelite kingdom, a 40-year-old princess of sorts on her third marriage, married the 25-year-old Muhammad and used her power and wealth to launch the religion, the hateful religion of Islam. As this small band grew into a mighty nation called the Turks, God used the descendants of Abraham and Hagar's child of the flesh as he used the Philistines, the Hittites, the Amorites, and even the Babylonians and Assyrians to approve the wayward Israelites. Battling these bloodthirsty Turks united the church which had fallen into disarray in the midst of their prosperity. That's what happens to the church, and that's what happens to us when we get a lot of good stuff. Just like the children of Israel, when they began to live in houses they didn't build, and vineyards they didn't plant, what did they do? They forgot the God that had brought them to the promised land and began to love the vineyards and the houses and the power and the land. This unity and the consolidation of governmental and ecclesiastical power led to further abuses as the world's wealthiest men fought for a place at the table of Christ, not for the holy food that was offered there, but for the wealth and power they could garner. The church had become superstitious and controlling. The Bible was taken from the hands of the common man, and the, only the learned scholars of the church could even read the words from its holy pages. Because of this, the church could deceive its people and fleece from them like the evil shepherds of Israel did 
before God brought them low by the Babylonians. Like God always is. Like He was when the God of the Jews cried out for when the when the Jews cried out to God for the deliverance from Egypt and prayed for their return of Jerusalem God heard the prayer of his people and he sent the great reformers to every Christian nation today we call these men the proto reformers and we call them the reformers John Wycliffe the star morning star of the reformation began to work on a translation of the Bible in the English language in the 14th century that would be finished by William Tyndale after him. Augustinian monks in France and Germany and Switzerland began to pray for and to preach for a return to the Word of God and a call for repentance of that church that had strayed from its holy calling. During these same tumultuous few hundred years, the Pope called on the saints to take back Jerusalem and the Holy Land from the Muslims whom God had sent as a scourge against them and had now ruled these holy places where Jesus walked with the iron hand of the Muslim horde. Pope Urban II was the first of the popes and kings to sound the trumpet call against the horde that had taken, begin to take over the Holy Land and, and work its way toward Europe. But this judgment of God would only be pushed back a little bit from time to time and only Jerusalem would be taken for just a small time during this time but it would be taken back again the people of God had left the word of God and the worship of God and had gone chasing wealth and God sent discipline to them and then there was the plague the horrible plague called the black death came from China into Europe as Europe's Christian traders were more interested in tea and opium and than proclaiming the gospel to the far reaches of the world. This horrible scourge of God on Europe. Many may not know this, but ladies, please don't leave this out of your kids' education. The scourge of the Black Death killed one in every four people in Europe as it swept like a storm back and forth across Christendom again and again this no doubt was the hand of God of discipline on the church through the years of 1347 and 1350 sweeping after sweeping of the black plague came across Europe and everyone knew someone who had been killed by it the black death was beyond horrible the sickness which spread from the bite of fleas which rode on the backs of rats after a very short incubation period manifests itself as a fever accompanied by a rapid pulse. Sometimes spells of delirium would then give way to a speech disorder and often even a loss of consciousness. On the second day, boils as large as chicken eggs would appear on the neck and legs and under the armpits and boils would penetrate the lymph glands as they would infect the bloodstream for some people at this moment instantly they would die and for others they would stay alive in a torturous slow and horrible death for three to four days at the height of this epidemic the mortality rate ranged between 30 and 90 percent and even higher and on august the 2nd 1527 the dread plague struck wittenberg germany 
With the dread memory of this vile scourge still reverberating through the psyche of Europe, terror gripped them as the news of the dread steps of this monster came, this monster of day and night approached, and the messengers came from the cities nearby with stories of death in great quantities by villagers. Martin Luther was working and living in Wittenberg at this time. You know, we, we often don't really think of these kinds of events happening to these people. We think of all of the difficulties we know about, but we don't imagine that amidst all the trouble they had from the church, they were having these troubles in their own lives. It was now approaching 10 years since Luther, now called the father of the Great Reformation, had nailed his 95 thesis to the door at the Wittenberg church. It was a list of things he saw where they had departed from God's word. And he said, we've got to talk about these things. And someone reprinted them and sent them around. And this was the event that began the formal Great Reformation. Not only could he hear the steps of approaching with the plague, church authorities were calling for the death of those who preached the message that Luther proclaimed daily. He said he expected to be taken and killed for his words daily. He waited, but daily those people never came. We know that it was three years later he stood before the great leaders of the Catholic Church and he said these words, here I stand before God, I can do no other, right? And sometimes we envision these things kind of being like a movie. Like at that, then the credits roll and Martin Luther lived happily ever after and because he took the great stand at the Diet of Worms, now we have what we have today in Christendom. But he was only getting started. After he made this declaration, they left him alone for a while because there was a great popularity among the common people. And even uh, a papal bull uh, put against him by the, the, the Pope himself Martin Luther had burned it, and in a sense, he had thought signed his own death warrant, but God was not going to take his life that way. He would allow him to live and continue to preach. Just two weeks, two weeks after the plague arrived in Wittenberg and began to take its first victims, something horrible happened in the life of Martin Luther. On August the 16th, just two weeks after that date, in 1527 he received the news about the tragic death of a friend of his and it shook his heart and his life to the core his friend's name was Leonhard Kaiser Leonhard was a convert priest who had moved to Wittenberg to learn from Luther and had become one of his dearest and closest friends he had now, according to the news that Luther had just received on this date, been burned alive in his hometown because he would not recant his belief in justification by faith. When Kaiser had resigned the post of his church and come to Wittenberg, he had seen what he had longed for and intimately desired. He saw Luther face to face. He had read a book by him and he had uh, 
begin preaching at his church some of these messages and they ask him to stop and he agreed to stop um, but eventually he couldn't take it anymore and he quit and he came to Wittenberg visiting Luther's lectures he began to burn with the zeal and it was said by Luther here that this man had an unwearied diligence and enjoyed the close contact and friendship with Luther inflamed Luther says by his joyous faith his love for pure doctrine increased from day to day and at the same time day and night he researched the scriptures of the Old and New Testament always to be certain of his faith you know when you're a man of God and you love the Word of God and you meet someone who loves it as much as you do and they want to talk about it and they want to peer into it and they want to open it and examine it, and they want to understand it there is a love and a camaraderie that builds between men like nothing you can ever imagine some of you might be very bored or you might really like it if you could peer into the conversations of me and my buddy Kyle on the phone or when we sit down he'll talk about the thing that he's noticed in the Word of God that that excites him in and, and this kind of relationship happened between Luther and his friend Leonhard two years he studied and he wrote with Luther and a deep friendship began to grow between these men of God and then a letter came from home he was from a town called R-A-A-B, I don't really know how to pronounce it, a German town called Rab or Rabe in Bavaria, now Austria. And they urgently asked him to return home as soon as possible because his father was dying. He ran home to see his father and by God's grace he was able to get there in time. But his father only lived for two hours. And then apparently, after his father leased, breathed his last breath, maybe some of that sickness was in it, and it began to take hold of Leonhard. And so he was there at his father's home, grieving the death of his father, and now he's in bed, and he's sick, and he thinks he's dying, and authorities hear that he's in town, and it was very popular to be able to catch a heretic and to bring him to justice and so in his sickbed even Luke they drag him out of his sickbed and they take him and arrest him and they demand that he recant his faith justification by faith alone and he will not in a letter written October the 22nd 1527 Martin Luther wrote to his friend about the death of Kaiser he said pray earnestly that Christ may not forsake me for I am driven almost mad by the assaults of Satan's angels miserable creature that I am how unlike this lion-hearted man you see Leonhard meant lion-hearted and he called him his lion-hearted friend he said I preach the gospel with many words but oh my friend this lion-hearted man is a powerful doer of the word Oh, that I were counted worthy to be endued not with the double but half of the spirit of this good man so that I might be able to overcome Satan and quit this life. God be praised that amid such evil He has granted us poor miserable creatures the glorious glimpse of the loving kindness as a token that He has not forsaken us. Speaking of His friend, He said, Pray for me, my brother Michael, that Christ may grant me that I may be a follower of this Leonhardt man, this Leonhardt. For he is not called a king, but a Kaiser. 
For He has overcome Him whose power is so great that no one in America can be compared to Him. I don't know why He said that. In addition, He is not only a priest, but a true bishop. And the Pope who has offered up His body as a shock of us, will-pleasing to the Holy God. Also, He is rightly named Leonhard, that is a lion heart, for He has proved Himself strong and fearless as a lion. All that His name signified was a scene when He received it. This is what Luther wrote. It was amid the backdrop of this that dozens began to die in Wittenberg. People were now sending Luther letters telling him, the plague has reached Wittenberg. You need to leave town. You need to get out. You're an important man and, and you need to leave. And, and besides, your wife is pregnant. Please don't stay in Wittenberg. But unmoved by the letters from these officials and pleas from his friends, Luther and his sweet godly wife, former nun Katarina von Bora, along with his co-laborer in Christ, Johannes Bugenhagen. I like that name. I can't say it very good, but Bugenhagen stayed and he said, no, we're not going to leave Wittenberg. If the people of Wittenberg have ever needed us, they need us now. We're going to stay and if they're all going to die, we will die with them. We will pray with them in their time of need. Could you imagine if the plague hit you and I decided, you know, I think I'm going to take a break and I'm going to leave town and I left you to your own. Could you imagine how that could even be? And Luther not only loved his God, but he loved the people that God had given him there in Wittenberg, and he would not leave. Bugenhagen was a convert of Luther's, made so by reading a book that Luther had written comparing the church of his day to the Babylonian captivity of Israel. Not only did Bugenhagen come to faith in Christ's finished work after reading this book, but he also came to Wittenberg and ended up becoming Martin Luther's pastor and his confessor. By August 19th, there were 18 deaths in Wittenberg. The wife of the mayor of the city almost died in Luther's arms. Luther's own resilient and pregnant wife and two women in his house. Two women were sick. His wife still stayed there with them. And then Luther's little son Hans refused to eat. And for three days he wouldn't eat and there was great concern that maybe he had taken ill himself. Chaplain George Rohr's wife who was with them and also pregnant took sick and she and her both baby, both her baby died. Bugenhagen and his family then moved into the house with Luther. They were kind of like consolidating. They were like, okay, bad things are happening, but let's be together more and let's talk more and let's spend more time together. And so they came to live in the house of Luther. Writing to Amsdorf, Luther spoke of this, and I really, really wish I could pronounce this right, and I'd, I'd like to actually have it on a plaque. Luther had a special name for these trials that were sent by God. He called it an Enfectugen. 
He called this this trial sent by God. He wrote about it from the hospital and, and the hospital in his house. And he said this, he said, there are battles without and there are terrors within. Grim ones. Christ is punishing us. It is a comfort that we can confront Satan's fury with the Word of God with which we and he have, which saves the soul, even if that one should devour our bodies. Commend us to the brothers and pray yourself for us that we may endure bravely under the hand of the Lord and overcome the power and cunning of Satan, be it through dying or living. These were not just lofty words. He's saying, if I live or I die, if my body is killed, whatever happens to me, it doesn't matter. Can you, can you begin to hear some of where some of these things that came out of Luther came from? Though my body they may kill, His truth endureth still. He turned again time and time again to the words of the 46th Psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake and the swelling thereof. If anyone knew what it was like for the mountains to shake and then be cast in the sea before him, it was Luther. Seeing his friend burned at the stake and seeing the, the, the plague coming into his town, seeing those around him dying in his arms, he was assailed on every side. Yet as he looked to Psalm 46, God in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her and early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, and he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. Luther began to see that it wasn't a mighty man that he was, but it was a mighty God that he served. Amen? This big God that he began to read about and study about, in the, that he had studied and read for years about in the Psalms, became real to him as his need for him grew more and more. He would come to verse 10 and 40... And, Psalm 46, and he would remember the words of God, Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. You might be tempted to think of our great reformer Martin Luther as an intellectual genius, as a great orator or a magnanimous salesman that started a movement. But the facts I'm laying out before you should remind you that he was a man. He was a man of sorrow and stress and difficulties beyond our wildest imaginations. It should remind and inspire us of what men can be, what women of faith we could be if we would aspire to do what they have done. This man was a mountain, but he was a mountain of faith in his great God. He looked under the hills as David did and knew it was from the hill of God from which came his help. And this is why we talk about Luther 500 years later and why he sang of God who had no beginning. The historians tell us that time and time again when he would become discouraged, he would look over at Philip Melanchthon, Jeff, and he would say, can we open up the Psalter? Can we sing Psalm 46? I need to know that God is my refuge and my strength my very present help 
in the time of trouble. I need to be remembered that if the mountains are removed and they go into the sea and that if the earth shakes and that if the water is noisy around me and raises up against me, I need to remember to be still and know that He is God. From these great contractions of the 16th century was birthed an anthem from the heart of Luther that we do well to sing with all these things in mind. For it was in this very time, Luke, that he wrote this song. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Be still our ancient foe who seeks to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal right he sang about the power of the devil and how it seems so great around him but that God with one little word can fail him amen did we in our in our own strength confide right we would be losing but when we know that God is on our side right that we can do what God is choosing this is what these words and where these words came from. This song would spread as far and penetrate as deep as the plague that brought it and become the battle cry of Protestants everywhere. It was often called the true national anthem, the national hymn of Germany. It spread rapidly and was sung on the battlefield of Leipzig in 1631 during the Thirty Years' War. It was sung at Augsburg when the Catholics gathered to condemn the reformers there and in all the churches of Saxony, often against the protests of their priests. It was sung in the streets. It was sung by poor Protestant immigrants on their way into exile and onto the scaffolds to their death. No hymn is identified with the Protestant Reformation more than Martin Luther. The song was one of many that Luther left us, original songs that he wrote. He wrote over 30 of these songs from the Psalms. These songs, it is said, defined the Lutheran confessional tradition and became a truly ecumenical influence among the thinkers and shapers of his time. The Reformation of the 16th century can be understood in many ways, but it was in essence a biblical revolution, and at the heart of it were the Psalms. Men had left the Word of God, and they had left the worship of God. And as they returned to the Word of God, they began to understand that the worship of God should come from the Psalms, the very songbook written by God for His people. And the reformers loved the Word of God in their language. And then they wanted to not only speak it and preach it, but they wanted to sing it. And God gave them the words of the songs that they were to sing in the Psalter. We know a lot about Luther, but many do not know how God used the book of songs to reshape Luther's thinking as a way of preparing him for the work he would do. Many knew that he received his doctorate degree in 1512 as a Augustinian monk. But his first lectures on the Bible and the Latin came from the book of Psalms. At that time, Luther did not know how to read Hebrew, but he as he read the Psalms, he wanted to know so much that he began to teach himself Hebrew so that he could read them in their original language. In uh, a book written by 
uh, Johann Ruchlin on the rudiments of Hebrew. He got this little book and began to study this German book, helping him to know and learn Hebrew. And he began to pour over it. He began to do this before the first Greek Bible was written with the book of Psalms by Erasmus. Luther's translation of the Psalms from Hebrew into German would not be completed till 1534, but he began it. Before there was a Reformation, he was translating the Psalms into the language of the German people. He called it Der Psalter Deutsch, which means the Psalter of the Germans. He first published and edited completer later on. Luther once said that the Psalms are not merely words to be read, but to be lived. Every Christian should take the Psalms to his heart, memorize them, and ponder their meaning. In short, if you would see the holy Christian church pictured in living color, he said, as in a small portrait, then pick up the Psalms. Here we hear Luther echoing a church father he admired and studied by the name of Athanasius. In the 4th century, Athanasius wrote a letter to a man by the name of Marcellinus, who was likely a deacon in the church of Alexandria. During a long illness, uh, Mar Marcellinus had turned to the study of the Bible and was especially drawn in his grief and sorrow to the book of Psalms, striving, as he said, to comprehend the meaning contained in each one. Athanasius then commends his desire, claiming that the Psalms are an entire Bible in miniature, the perfect image for the soul's course of life. The Psalms, he said, offer therapy and correction for every human emotion. Lucas, <clears throat> Luther, we know, was an Augustinian month, as I said, monk. And so no wonder we hear echoes of the words in him as well. St. Augustine was no less eloquent when he described the benefits he had received from the Psalms. He said, How my love for thee, O God, was kindled by those Psalms, and how I burned to recite them were it possible throughout the whole world. He longed to go throughout the world saying, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He longed to stand and say, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth forth knowledge. These are the words that Augustine long to recite throughout the world. In the critical periods of the church, certain books of the Bible have played a pivotal role in the shaping of the spiritual direction of those history-altering eras. These key biblical books have been used by God to launch reformations and spark revivals. They have strategically defined epics and birth movements in the church. And one such book is the New Testament book of Romans. And the other is Israel's ancient hymn book, the Old Testament book, the Psalms. These two monumental books of Scripture, Romans and the Psalms, uniquely came together in the life of Luther. And I love this quote by Steve Lawson. Steve Lawson is a, uh, a Ligonier teacher. He goes around the country. And I was blessed to be able to be there and uh, be a part of his uh, teaching on expositional preaching. And when I came away from that, I really didn't come away with a great deal about preparing sermons so much, but I came away with a desire to know the Psalms, to read the Psalms, to love the Psalms, and to teach the Psalms. And I love what he said right here. He said, Roman, 
The book of Romans gave Luther his theology, but it was the Psalms that gave Luther his thunder. It was these two strategic books, Psalms and Romans, that Luther was predominantly studying and teaching in the years preceding the posting of his 95 Thesis. It was in these two books of Scripture that radically affected Luther and changed the course of human history. While Romans would principally formulate his doctrine, it was the Psalms that would dramatically embolden him to proclaim God's message to the world. In other words, Romans gave Luther his theology, but the Psalms gave him his thunder. You see, there's something that happens when you read the Psalms, Andy. There's something that when you're feeling timid, you begin to read words like, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though when a host should rise up against me, though war should come against me, in this will I be confident that one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Can you hear it? Are you starting to swell up with it yourself? For in the midst of his uh, congregation shall he hide me. He shall set my feet upon a rock. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord shall take me up. These are words that when you read and when you sing should fill you with the fighting spirit of the people of God. The Psalms gave Luther a towering view of God so much so that in preaching the gospel he was ready to fight the devil himself. And you'll read about it and you'll hear about it. He's like, come on! I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Luther took up the, the sword of the Spirit. He took up the shield of faith. He took up the helmet of salvation and he quenched the fiery darts of the wicked. When Luther posted his 95 thesis against the perversions and grave abuses of the church in Rome, this decisive act became the hinge upon which history turned. And at the very core of the Protestant movement were these psalms, which continued to play a defining role throughout his life and ministry. While being hidden by supporters at Wartburg Castle, the German reformer translated the Bible into the German language and included in this work, of course, was the book of Psalms, which Luther referred to as Augustine had as the Bible in miniature. Amid such adversity and embattled stalwart found God to be his bulwark never failing. Though he had previously taught and even translated the Psalms, Luther now found himself living them. He knew what it was like as David, you know, God had David on the run for 40 years running from Saul and writing Psalms. And I bet you Luther began to identify. Many times during this dark and tumultuous period, as I said before, he would turn to his co-worker Philip Melanchthon and say, Come Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm together. And they sang it this way, A sure stronghold, our God is He, a timely shield and weapon. Our helper He will be and set us free from every ill can happen. With unshakable confidence in God, Luther reflected upon and drew strength from his choice, this choice psalm. And we sing the psalm to praise of God because He is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends His church 
and His Word against the fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. Despite Luther's intense inner turmoil, this valiant reformer clung to the rock-solid truths of Israel's ancient hymn book. Four years before his death, he wrote in his Bible these words. Right next to Psalm 119.92, he said, If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Such biblical truth empowered his spiritual leader and enabled him to persevere in the midst of his many struggles to reform the church. And to the very end, this daring leader of the Reformation tenaciously held to the glorious revelations of the Psalms. And as important as Luther was, we will see in the coming weeks how other reformers found the same strength and drew from the deep well of the Word of God contained in the book of Psalms. The commentaries and sermons resonated with St. Augustine's statement that it is Christ's voice which ought by this time to be perfectly known and perfectly familiar with to us as we read the Psalms. As we read the Psalms, we should be hearing Jesus singing. Now chanting joyously here, now sorrowing, now rejoicing in hope. It was the Psalms that Jesus quoted from the time they put Him on the cross until the time He said it was finished, including the very words, it is finished. Now sorrowing, rejoicing in hope, now singing in its present state, even as if it were our own. We need not then dwell long on pointing out who the speaker is here, Augustine said, let each of us be a member of Christ's body. And if we are, then we will become the singers ourselves. The Psalter is the church prayer book. And the reformers saw it and it inspired each of them to teach believers how not only to read the Word of God, but to sing the hallelujahs and how to receive comfort from God when the soul is distraught and cast down. A fiery Dominican preacher who was burned at the stake in 1498 named Girolamo Salvanarola barely made it into this one commentary about the Psalms by the skin of his teeth. He commented on Psalm 42.7 and he said these words, and this is definitely worth remembering. This man was getting ready to be burned at the stake and he said, this deep of misery calls to the deep of mercy. The deep of transgression calls to the deep of grace. Greater is the deep of mercy than the deep of misery. And therefore let deep swallow deep and let the deep of mercy swallow the deep of misery. The singing of the songs became a staple of public worship of the Protestant Christians and especially of Calvinists who believe in the great God, the great sovereign God of the world who is writing his story upon the tables of our lives. But the use of the psalm was not restricted to formal religious meetings. In the decades and centuries that followed the Reformation, the psalm served as the distinguishing mark of the worship and the cry decor of the embattled French Protestants, the Huguenots. They were sung in the marketplace, it said of them, intoned by the martyrs on their way to the scaffolds and ever chanted by armies marching into battle. And they sang them, and we're going to sing them too. Amen? Amen. Aren't we thankful for God who gave us songs? 
who gave us things we could see him and gave us men who lived out these lives that can inspire us. We can become complacent in our life and we can become comfortable and we can forget what great struggle brought to us the great gifts of our precious faith. Amen? Amen. Today on our first Sunday together for our Reformation uh, month, may we remember these great men of God and may we remember the Psalms that they love so well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your mercy and your kindness, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for music itself, the song of worship and praise. Lord, we know that heaven will be filled with music as our, our hearts each day, Lord, as your joy spills out of us, O oh God. I pray today for us that as we come today to take the body and the blood that we would remember your broken body. We remembered many a men and a women who were broken for us as well, singing as they were broken, the Psalms. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.